Hey wine friends and welcome to Wine Wednesdays. If you're just joining us, this is Jen. I am the owner, founder, sommelier here at Viva Porvino, a podcast about wine. Um, today is going to be another fun day of learning. I thought I would kind of break it up a little bit and I step into the winemaker's shoes a couple of weeks ago. Um, but we still have lots to cover in that section and I didn't want to miss out on some really pertinent information. So today is about style, terroir, and really we are going to step back into those shoes of the winemaker and we're going to talk a little bit more in depth about different nuances We'll talk about the location, geography, just a touch bit to kind of review. Then we're going to master a couple wine variables and these things to kind of expect as winemakers in in the making, I guess you could say. Um, And then we're going to kind of jump into style and what stylistic approach, what are we visualizing? What do we want to see our grapes ripen to what do we visualize that grape to look like what are we visualizing that wine to taste like all in the end so um, remember when we started this journey as a winemaker we had to have a big vision we had to start by really looking at the world map and really focusing in on the actual location we wanted to go to it's nature of its agriculture what grapes are grown in that area what the climate is things like that So remember, we started the big, big, grand scope of things. Now we're getting real, real minuscule. And we're going to get into those little nooks and crannies and very nitty-gritty details that these winemakers have really honed in on to make this their craft. And really, it's to make the bottle different from the last one or make the bottle different from your neighbors right and then we're going to jump into the wine spectrum we're going to really start talking about wine and grapes and things like that so we're going to talk about white wine we're going to have a really high level overview of white we're going to go over a high level overview of red and I think that's where we're going to finish up today but what you can look forward to in the future And things to come are us diving deep into each individual region, diving deep into each individual grape, learning where things grow and what areas and why they grow there. So to do that, we still have to be in this big, broad spectrum of becoming that winemaker because we have to know the basics and we have to know where we're going to start from. So location, location, location is where it's all going to start today. Um, I invite you today to pour a glass, grab your journal, take some notes, learn a few things, and continue your adventure and your journey with us as we learn a little bit more about wine. So um, as a winemaker, let's, let's kind of get into that shoe. I want you to visualize yourself as a winemaker and you are picking the spot for your vineyard 
and you're deciding what you'd like. You're you're picking which appellation. Fun fact, smaller appellations technically make the most prestigious wines and are typically more superior. Why? Because a smaller amount can come from that area, supply and demand. It's also, it gives you an opportunity to really, really make that one type of wine in that one particular area it's more exquisite than the rest. Now I want you to think about geography and climate, which we've talked about before. Do Where do we want our grapes to land? Are they going to be higher elevation, lower elevation? What grapes are we growing that makes sense for the climate that we're in? And the effects of terroir. So terroir means the earth and the soil. But in our terms, it's really location, the taste of the place. And we'll learn this a little bit more when we talk about pairing with food. But it's what grows together goes together so what is in the earth what is in that specific soil in that specific location that makes the grape taste the way that it does and really it comes down to also what we're putting in the soil soil composition soil drainage is there any runoff um, you can really put a fingerprint on your flavors as a winemaker when you have changed the nuances of, say, the soil composition or the soil fauna or the soil drainage and where these roots are going and how deep they go into the ground. Something I like to compare it to and think about is I did a wine tasting with a beautiful woman. Her name is Anne Charlotte. She is from Chateauneuf de Pop. Uh, she is the winemaker at uh, Font de Loup. And she said to me something very interesting. Uh, in Chateauneuf de Pop, a lot of their soils tend to be very rocky. Um, and rocky soils tend to hold heat. So I want you to think about a like a, a stone in an oven so like a pizza stone you, you put it in an oven that oven gets turned off that pizza stone is still hot right same kind of deal right so when the sun goes down that rock is still warm and it's going to stay warm for a longer period of time so we have to see the effects of that on the grape and the soil and the water composition that gets to the vine but what is different about Anne Charlotte at Chet, at uh, Fontaloupe, sorry, in Chateauneuf de Pop still, is that she has changed some of the soil composition to be sand. And because of that, the sand doesn't hold the heat as long as the rock does. The sand is going to get a bit colder at night. And it's going to be a little bit colder, deeper down into those roots. So this provides her the opportunity to change the terroir of her wine to be a little bit more elegant. It's a little bit 
higher in acidity. There's a little bit more fruit forward and ripeness to it. But she gets to have a different Chateau Neuf de Pop. Now, this is still Chateau Neuf de Pop. It's still the same grape. It's just because her terroir and the nuances that she has made in her soil production and her farming creates her ability to create a completely different profile for that particular wine. So now let's kind of jump around and talk about, you know, farming for just a second because a lot of this is farming, but we've covered a lot of this. So farming quality is something that we're looking for. You're looking for quality over quantity. So like we said, smaller appellations, it's supply and demand. You know, if you don't have as much grapes to make as much juice, your supply is going to be much smaller, thus your demand much higher because you can't get as much of that. So also have to think about as the winemaker, organic grapes, growing wine naturally. Um, what kind of support are we getting from the earth? What kind of support can we be getting from organic soils and things like that to help grow organically? Um, uh, organic farming is as normal as it is. Um, we see a lot of preservatives and a lot of pesticides and things being put on different parts of the grapes and the vines and things like that but honestly a lot of winemakers are trying to get towards that organic and they're they're as organic as they come i mean all around organic farming um is trying to do their best that they possibly can um but not all wines can be made organically there's always something that is being added to preserve to change to alter to add um to make that wine its its own so um sometimes you're not going to see organic very often um know this that most winemakers take a lot of pride in their juice so i would say a, a, the majority of them want to have a mostly organic wine um and then we also have some that are naturals um so same winemaker uh Anne charlotte from fontaloupe they have a nature, and this is a basically straight from the cask into the bottle. It is not filtered. It is pure as it possibly can be wine. That being said, nothing is added. No sulfates, no preservatives, no chemicals of any sort. Therefore, when you crack this bottle and you open this bottle, you have to drink it. All of it. It's not going to last 12 hours let alone 24 to 48 hours and we talk about that we talked about oxidation in wine and how if it's open for too long it's going to oxidize and it's going to turn almost vinegary and you're going to have to dump it typical wine takes about you know three maybe four days to get through on a nature you're looking at 12 hours at best you want to drink it and you want to drink it now um, really good one I've tried recently is called Puro. Um, tried another one. The other one was uh, the Fontaloup Chateau Neuf de Pop. Um, their nature was absolutely fantastic. So something to think about as the winemaker on what we are going to choose to make. 
Okay, and I know this is all review, and you're probably like, Jen, why the heck are we still talking about location? But what the purpose of this is, is I want you to get into that mindset. I want you to get into the mindset of being a winemaker. And know that wine is extremely complicated, okay? There's so many different layers and obstacles and things that winemakers have to go through to really get their wine coded and branded in their own right. So we need to talk about these variables and making sure that we're making the right decisions in our winemaking process. So let's just break it down to the very start of the winemaking process. We have our location, we've harvested the grapes, we need to now ferment these grapes, right? Fermentation process to create the alcohol inside the wine starts off with your raw material, which is sugar. Your fermentation agent, which is yeast or yeast cultures. And those create alcohol or ethanol. Add some carbon dioxide, add some new flavors and scents, and add some heat energy and you have wine. So you need the grapes, and remember there's specific grapes, Vitis verinifera, that are made and grown and harvested for wine grapes. So in that fermentation process, we have to also understand the importance of the cultures that we're putting in. So the yeast is going to really affect on a very microscopic level the flavor profile of the wine. How much sugar you put in will also affect the flavor profile of the wine. So what is our balance? Um, what flavors are we looking for? Are, what do we want to add to it? Remember, you're going to get alcohol, but then you have to add some flavor to it. You know, what other flavors are we going to incorporate into our wine to make it taste the way that it does? Now, to do some of that, we have to control its sweetness, right? So do we want it to be super sugary and super sweet, or do we want it to be more on that alcohol side? where it is a lot more body than sweetness. So think sweet grape juice, you add yeast, you add sugar, you add CO2, you get dry wine. Sugar is a primary role in winemaking to be converted into alcohol. Most wines are dry not sweet, especially those at 13% or more alcohol. But that is because of the amount of sugar in the fermentation process. Now also remember we talked about residual sugars left over, things like that, that can create a little bit more sweetness, can create more sugar in the wines. A lot of that happens in white wine. Now, to make your wine sweet, you want to keep the process a little bit colder. You want to have fermentation early 
and you want to have that fermentation stopped early. There's another way you can make it where you have um, concentrated grapes where you make them almost a raisin prior to fermentation and that can provide sweetness. Um, Italians tend to do this with Amarone. Amarone tends to, they dry, they dry out the grape almost to a raisin and that provides a little bit more sweetness to the, to the wine. The other way to do this is to provide sugar to the wine to sweeten it after fermentation. So you can control the sweetness in the way in which you make the wine, right? Most wines are fermented fully dry, but winemakers tend to stop fermentation early to retain the grapey sweetness. So I had somebody ask me for a wine the other day and they said, I want it to be grapey and I want it to be sweet. Well, that's a possibility, of course all because of the fermentation process. So in that, we can give you kind of a base that you have, say, white grape juice and you add sugar to it, there's your white wine. That's your table grapes. Um, typically have a very sweet or very tart flavor to them. Now, if we ferment halfway and we stop it by chilling it, we can get essentially like a Moscato. Really super sweet. It's got almost like that carbonation, effervescence and bubbliness to it. Some of them actually are made into a, a more of a bubbly style. Now say we stop fermentation early by chilling and we add brandy to it. Now we're fortifying that wine. What if we ferment completely, but we deplete all the sugar? Essentially, we're making a dry muscat. So if you're looking at the way in which the wine is made from fermentation processes. Stopping fermentation is gonna provide sweetness. Now, remember, we also have to think about as our wine making process goes is what, are, what do we want this wine to look like? You know, we definitely know that we wanna have really awesome nuances in the flavor profile and on the nose. But determining the color makes a huge difference, right? Because it also determines the body and some of the flavor profile that's gonna come out. So what are we doing in our winemaking method 
Are we making red wine? Are we making white wine? Are we making rosé? Really, there's two methods. There's the red wine method and there's the white wine method. So red wines tend to taste stronger and more bitter. Like the peels of the grapes because the skins stay on them longer, which we've talked about before. White wine method tastes a little bit more mild, a little bit more juicy because we're getting the flesh of the grape. We're not getting all that skin. So typically a red will ferment for about one to three weeks. It's warm, it's fast fermentation. The colors ripen very dark very quickly. Whites usually ferment for about two to six weeks. They like to be cold. They're slow in fermentation. That that process then preserves the fresh taste of the clear juices. So think red, warm, and fast. Think white, cold, and slow. Kind of just makes sense with the style, right? You always think of a red as chilled and I tend to sip on it a little bit slower. Now, I want you to think of red wines and maybe make a chart in your notebook. And at the top, it's gonna be three columns. You have red wine, middle column white wine, far column rosé. Everything is gonna start essentially as a red because we're gonna crush the grapes first. So in the red wine, we're gonna crush grapes, dark grapes only. In the white, we're gonna crush grapes any color, any color. Because if the skins aren't on it, then we don't we have clear juice. Rosé, we're gonna crush the grapes and we're gonna do dark grapes only. A lot of rosés you're gonna find are Pinot Noir or Grenache. And we've talked about that before, but majority of the rosés I come across are Pinot Noir or Grenache. They just make the best rosés. Then from that, the next stage down, a red wine, you're gonna ferment the juice in the solids, warm and fast. It's gonna ferment right away. Then going down the column with the red wine, after that fermentation of warm and fast, we're gonna squeeze the wine from the solids. So all of those grapes just got fermented, they're still intact, the skin's still there, it's all fermented together and we're gonna squeeze all of that juice out. That juice is now red wine. That is the simplest way I can tell you about red wine. Next column over, go back to the white wine. We've now crushed any colored grape. We're gonna squeeze the juice from those grapes. We're gonna get our juice, and now we're gonna ferment our juice. So what you're gonna notice is we're gonna do that cold and slow. Notice the first difference between red and white as red goes through fermentation before the squeeze. White goes through the squeeze before fermentation. Biggest difference. 
that and the fact that skins are left on or skins are taken off. Rosé is dark grapes only. Again, a lot of Grenache and Pinot Noir. We're going to fast and hot ferment those grapes for about 48 hours. Okay? So in Rosé specifically, we are going to take those dark grapes, we're going to crush them, we're going to ferment them. Then we're going to squeeze out the juice. The juice is going to be a pinky color. It's going to be pink. It's really great. Then we're going to ferment the juice. Cold and slow. And then we are going to pour as rosé. Very, very simple. Red wine ferments, squeezes. White wine squeezes, ferments. Rosé crushes, ferments, squeezes, ferments again. The second fermentation process allows it to be a little bit sweeter on that rosé. Now that we've fermented, we need to let this wine age before we're going to bottle it. So how are we going to age our wine? We've talked about oak, talked about stainless steel, we've talked about concrete. And when we were the winemaker, we were making those decisions, but what, what does that mean? If I'm aging in oak, am I using old oak? Am I using new oak? Am I using French? Am I using American? Am I using a combination of? I was doing some research last night on some new bottle pours that we have on my list at work. And one of them I came across is French oak switch to American oak 95% new if I'm right I think I wrote it down was 16 months in new French and then it changes over to American like this is the coolest thing but I also did some research on this because I was curious do they like take the wine out of the French oak and put it into the American oak? Sometimes yes. Sometimes they're creating barrels. They're taking old barrels apart and putting together barrels that are old and new, French and American, so very neutral oaked. Um, I'm loving the way that some of these winemakers are really just coming out to play when it comes to how they're aging their wine. So, um, barrels tend to intensify wine. Um, you, with an oak barrel, you're letting some of the water and the alcohol out. You're letting some air in, but with that transfers some of that oak flavor. Um, so when you have a oak barrel, they tend to get a little bit more um, baking spice on the nose and on the palate. You're getting more of the, you know, the cinnamons, the nutmegs, the vanillas, things like that. You have to think about like oak and 
what the oak provides. Um, so as we look at, say we do decide as winemakers, and as we look at what we wanna put them in, we're going to use, say, French oak. And we'll say old French, because I think that that's gonna provide us the most economically friendly at the very beginning of our winemaking process. But that's also something to think about right off the bat. What flavor profile do you want inside of your wine? And do oak barrels provide that? If you don't want the natural flavors from the oak barrels and the tannin complexity and what you can create out of the oak barrel, but and you want more of a clean flavor, then we're gonna go with stainless. I mean, quite honestly, it's whatever we want to make it, right? Terroir is terroir, which is our choice. It really is our choice. But think about that and think about it economically. Like I said, I'm going to go on the cheaper side and I'm going to get the French, the old French oak because it's relatively inexpensive. Or maybe I can get a deal on some old American oak. I know right away that new oak is not in the cards because financially that is a big burden to take on as a new winemaker. But is that also a decision I need to make right at the beginning of my winemaking process because consistency is key. You want your wine to taste the same year over year. Okay, or maybe I have a grander picture. Maybe I'm going to do a old French oak barrel for my first couple of years. Maybe I get some of these creative barrels people are making, or maybe I get some newer oak as I go. And maybe the change in the wine progresses over time. It's going to change anyways because we know that annual weather effects change the runoff, what the weather's going to be like, wildfires, and so on and so forth. You know, Mother Nature has a way of skewing the way wine tastes over time. So in my decision-making process, I'm going to ask, am I fermenting in age? It intensifies the wine. It enriches the textures. It adds oak flavoring. Again, the oak flavoring are those like vanillas and things like that, which quite honestly, I absolutely love it. Um, I would do oak barrels over steel tanks any day of the week in my eyes. Um, but if you want the oaky flavor of the wood barrel, and even a lot of winemakers are now using like bourbon barrels and whiskey barrels, and I've seen some with uh, uh, gin barrels that were used. I mean, quite honestly, we could come up with some really cool ways that... We could flavor wines, um, but it's 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 gonna come down to our preference, you know, oak or no oak. Now, firming with the skins extracts not only the color and the flavor, but also some of the harsh bitter components. So we have to think about that when we're fermenting our wine as well, because in an oak barrel that is going to be heightened. 
That's why you get some of these big, bold, juicy, like, cabs and Malbecs and Syrahs and things like that that are just out of this world, huge body and a lot of flavor and complexities and layers because we've aged, we've fermented the specific way. So if we are talking about some examples, when we squeeze immediately and then discard the solids, we're talking about unoaked, basically white, wine those can be something like let's say a pinot grigio um pinot gris maybe those are low sugar they're dry high acidity and tart now if we squeeze early in the fermentation press and then process and then discard our solids we're an unoaked pink so a rosé tend to come again from pinots um, and a lot of grenache lowish in sugar medium to dry high acidity tart we're getting some of those more fruit forward flavors ferment with the solids then age in like a neutral oak you, that's what I would go for. I would go in that because that's a that's a red wine. You're aging in old barrels. You're getting that from the deep ripened grapes. This is going to get you those Bourgognas, the Pinot Noirs, the French Burgundies. Um, probably get some Barolo, um, Barbarasca, more of that like lighter bodied floral. Um, really neutral very basic drinking wines like just drinkable wines there's a lot of wines that I would say have to be paired with food I think this process of you know your modest French neutral oak old school style aging is I think just the best way to make wine so that's the way I would make wine you can also ferment with the solids and then age in new oak. Aging in new oak is gonna give it a lot more vibrant flavors. Um, these are coming from California, Sonoma County, um, bits of Oregon, New Zealand. These are your cabs. These are your big, I like to say, punch you in the face with a lot of flavor um, cabs. So low sugar, really dry, moderate acidity, tangy, very high fruit intensities things like that so um as we move forward in another episode we're gonna do is gonna be new world versus old world and the basic of what I like to start with is bold versus subtlety uh, is, is the flavor punching you in the face or is it nice and elegant and finishes with a nice and long you know finish that gives you a, an eagerness to want to drink more of it okay so honestly I really think in the fermentation process as a winemaker I want to make something that I want to be able to drink every single day it doesn't have to be paired with food I am making wine for the everyday drinker 
Um, but I want it to be specific to me. So some other ways that we can style wine, um, we can do fortification, we can make brandy, we can make sherries and ports. Um, there is Madeiras, so hot and heavy. So adding sugar, um, adding distilled spirits such as like a great brandy um, and naturally fermentating again uh, provides a, a sherry. Port method uh, is, you know, adding sugars and the grape juice, adding more brandy to it, but a lot more brandy for that port. Um, there's also, stylistically, we can talk about making sparkling wine. So there's, um, in traditional method, you make the base of the wine in sparkling. You add your yeast and sugar. And then you go for a second fermentation. Then you age on lees. Then you remove the yeast. So this is called clarifying. Then you add sugar and top it off with a sweetness. So there's so much more we can go into. So much more. And we're going to get into sparkling wine. We're going to get into reds. We're going to get into whites. We're going to talk about that. And a little bit, like I said, overview, high overview today. We'll get really into it as we move forward. But are we going to start making sparkling right off the bat as a new winemaker? I don't necessarily think I would. I really think I want to perfect a really nice red. I want to perfect a really nice white. I want to know how I'm going to do in the wine world. Now, don't get me wrong. I really do think that stylistically there's some sparkling bottles out there that are absolutely fantastic. There are some champagnes that are mind-blowingly beautiful. But I also think that that market is very delicate. And I don't know that as a new winemaker, if I'm in the winemaking shoes and trying to develop my own, if sparkling is the way that I would go. Now, I met a girl recently. Uh, her name's Christina. She is in the process of making her own wine, and it's bubbly. And it's a brute rosé, I believe she said it is. And I'm very excited for her, but that is like her go-to wine. Um, I really think that I would go red, but that's just me. So since we're talking about it, let's have a conversation about sparkling wine for just a second. There's three styles, Champagne, Prosecco, and Asti. Champagne from the Champagne region in France, Prosecco from Italy. Asti style would be essentially anywhere else in the world, most of the time California. So you ferment, and then you ferment a second time in a sealed bottle, and this is for champagne, think champagne. Then you add your flavors and textures by 
aging on Lee's, how long that happens. Then you get your carbonation, your fine bubblies. Get your long-lasting creamy mousse. And your sweetness. They're often dry to very dry. We know that champagne's super dry. Now Prosecco does the same fermentation twice. The second time, instead of in the bottle, it's gonna be fermented in a sealed tank. Typically bottled and sold really young to keep its freshness. It's gonna have medium bubbles. More of like a frothy mousse, instead of creamy like a champagne. And tends to be dry to lightly sweet. Prosecco is going to be sweeter than champagne, for sure. Now, Asti style, this is like the basic champagne style. This is basic sparkling wine. Ferment once um, in a sealed tank. Fermentation is going to be interrupted to retain its sweetness. You're going to get large bubbles. Kind of a more of a foamy mousse at the top and is always going to be sweet so multiple different methods in which of course you can't call champagne champagne unless it's from champagne france prosecco can't come it can't unless it's from italy lots of different nuances when it comes to you know legalities of what you can call it but also think that when the brute is made it is categorized by its sweetness from its age on lees and from how much sugar and sweetness is added to it. So when the, you're looking at a bottle of bubbly, you need to also understand what some of these words mean that gives you the the definition of its sweetness so demi sec d-e-m-i-s-e-c is fully sweet that's gonna be really really sweet sweet wine sweet bubbly tends to be like a brichetto extra dry is gonna be faintly sweet it's gonna have a sweetness to it but it's not gonna be sweet 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 Brute is gonna be very dry. A brute is a dry, and that's a lot of times what we see. Brute rosés, champagne brutes, sparkling brute. You're gonna see brute more often. Brute nature means extremely dry. There's no sugar added. It's not gonna be sweet at all. It's gonna be super, super dry. That bubble is gonna be fierce and you're gonna need some water after that one. <laughs> okay, so now that we have some styles and we've mastered the case of the little variables and the little nuances and things like that, let's talk about how we're going to specifically style our wine. And this is definitely recognizing the patterns and how wine tastes and relates to one another. Um, 
and how that can help us make decisions. So when we're looking at style, we have to look at kind of cracking a code and really kind of charting the territory in which our wine is going to go. So we need to talk about the main traits. And really the main two traits that we're talking about in this is weight and flavor. Okay, weight. When we're talking about weight, we're talking about higher alcohol. We're talking about rich textures. We're talking about bold flavors. What kind of oak treatment? Are we aging before it's bottled? There's, is there low acidity? Are we in a warmer region? Um, on the lighter side of the weight, we're lower in alcohol. We're a more sheer texture. Sometimes people say like velvety. They're also often, but not always, milder in flavor. Not aged in oak or aged in oak a lot less of a given time. The bottling happens quickly and it's sold really super young. So it's not given that age. Tend to be higher acidity and from cooler regions. So the lighter body also might be something like a sparkling as well. Now the other side of that is the flavor. So milder wines are going to be more herbaceous, earthy flavors, rarely given oak. They're gonna be lower in alcohol, they're gonna be paler in color, they're gonna be bottled and sold pretty quickly on the younger scale of that. They're gonna be high in acid and typically come from cooler regions. Bolder wines, more intense flavors come from these. They usually have a lot more baked spices and they tend to be spicier on the nose and on the palate. Typically, these bold flavors are gonna come from oak treatment. Most often, they're higher in alcohol, deeper in color. They age before they're bottled. Allow for more of that flavor profile to really settle in. They're lower in acidity and they tend to come from warmer regions. So weight, you have heavy and light. Flavor, you have mild and bold. I want you to think of this on a scale. Um, so you have on your vertical axis weight, light up to heavy. On your horizontal axis, you're talking flavor, mild to bold. Now we have to think of where our wine lands. White wine, like Chardonnays, Pinot Grigios, and, and things tend to stay right in the dead center. You're right in the middle of everything. Your weight is balanced, your flavor's balanced, your color is right in the middle. Sparkling wines tend to do the same thing, but they tend to be on the lighter side of things. So they're gonna be lower on that weight scale, but right in the middle from mild to, uh, I would say, towards the bold flavors. Rosé is gonna be mid-range in the weight, 
probably at that like scale of like if you're looking at the scale one to ten probably between like a three and a five three and a six or so and on the flavor scale you're looking at more towards that bolder flavor it's going to get into maybe a if you're looking at a scale from one to ten on the flavor you're looking at more like a five to seven ish Red wines like Shiraz, Chianti, Barolos, things like that, you're going to have that bolder flavor. You're going to have that heavier weight that provides the thickness, and that's the body of what we're thinking. Fortified wines like Ports and Sherry's tend to be really bold in flavor and super heavy, almost like syrup. Because they're fortified a second time, they're also super sweet tend to go as after dinners and as a dessert wine. So now we're deciding right now what our wine is going to be, how heavy it's going to be, what a flavor profile do we want. And our three main factors are the main ingredient, which is the grape varietal that we've chosen natural environment that geography that climate the soil the terrain everything that and the way in which we are planting our our vines and then the third piece is this human interaction what we're doing specifically in the winemaking process and the fermentation process to create the intense flavors that we want to create The same grape varietal can be produced very radically different depending on where they're grown. But as we've learned more and more today, it's because of how the wine is then fermented and made. So I want you to think about some similarities and remember our big map okay and I'm gonna throw some similarities out there and you guys are probably gonna sit here and like shake your head and be like really because when I looked at this the first time I was like huh that's really interesting but if you're looking at it weight to flavor it makes so much sense so think about and I'm going to give you just a key of a couple wine varietals. Chardonnay, Pinot Grigio, Pinot Noir, Syrah. Okay, very familiar. Most people know those grape varietals, right? Now, on the heavier side, but on the milder flavor, you could have a barrel-fermented California Chardonnay that'll taste a lot like a French Alsace Pinot Gris. A lot of the times, because it's lighter and it's milder in flavor, French Chablis, which is 100% Chardonnay typically, will mimic and will assimilate themselves to an Italian Pinot Grigio. On the warmer regions and the bolder flavors, the heavier bodies, Australian Syrahs, 
or Shiraz tend to mimic a lot of a California Sonoma Pinot Noir. On a lighter body scale, but in bold flavor, you're looking at a French Bourgogne. So a Pinot Noir and a French Hermitage, which is Syrah, tend to be very similar. So, like I said, we'll talk new world, old world in the coming, coming future. But, I mean, really, when we're talking about boldness and flavor profile and weight and everything, we have a lot to, to work off of. Things to think about as we're deciding what wines we want to make. Moscato tends to be very light with the boldest flavor. Prosecco is lightweight with the mild flavor. Sauvignon Blanc, mid-weight with a medium flavor. And a Chardonnay tends to be heavier weight with a medium flavor. French Pinot Noirs tend to be mid-weight with a medium flavor. A Spanish Rioja is a mid-weight with a bit bolder flavor. A premium Syrah or Shiraz tends to be a heavier weight with a bolder flavor. Same with maybe a cab. And a fortified port is very heavy with the boldest flavor. Now, why do other regions trump other regions when it comes to winemaking? Well, a lot of it's the climate and things like that, but it also comes down to the way in which the grape responds to the soils and the earth and how we can increase its weight and its acidity and decrease its weight and acidity to create what we want to create. Compared to grape winemaking, the sun has a more dramatic impact on the grape ripeness and the final style. So remember hot and cold. White wine likes the cold. Red wine likes the heat. White wine, cold and slow. Red wine, hot and fast. More hours in the sunlight can also provide a lot more fruity flavors, more ripening. Your your ripeness can come from a lot of moving factors. And as the acidity decreases, The color deepens, the fruit flavors increase, the sweetness increases. And another factor we have to come into play is predicting this ripeness. More sun 
equals more sugar equals more alcohol equals bolder flavors. Less sun equals less sugar, less alcohol, milder flavors. Where's the sun? Do we see the sun all the time? What's our alcohol content? Some things you can automatically know when it comes to the alcohol inside a bottle of wine starts with your percentage, right? So if it's below 13 or above 14, we have kind of a small range, but we, we know exactly what we're getting, right? So in a 13%, we're getting low ripeness, lighter in texture, higher in acidity, milder flavors, pale in color, tends to be like a Champagne, an Albarino, Chianti. Now if we step in between there, 13.5, something like that, we tend to get that moderate. Moderate flavors, colors, acidities, maybe oak aged. But we get Chardonnays here. We get French Bordeaux. We get Oregon Pinot Noirs in this range. On the higher spectrum of that, on the 14 plus percent of alcohol, wines tend to be lower in acidity, bolder in flavor, deeper in color, often oak aged. We're talking about Zinfandel. We're talking about an Argentinian Malbec, French Chateauneuf de Pau. High alcohol comes from the ripeness, less amount of sugar. Now, we also have to talk about flavors. We get a lot of things when we're sniffing wine. But what does that mean? Floral fragrances, apple flavors, leafy green scents. Where are these coming from? Why are they coming? Most white wines tend to get some sort of apple flavor. You get a lot of floral on those like medium bodied, you know, barbarescas and things like that. Leafy greens. I mean, you can get that off a of Sauvignon Blanc, but you could also get that off of a, you know, a, another red. You know, I just, I just find the flavors that we can get from wine just so fascinating. So I want you to think about these grapes and how they fit into different families of flavors, okay? And we're gonna stick to three, floral, apple, and leafy greens when it comes to white wine. Apple tends to be on the Chardonnay, Albarino, Pinot Blanc, Pinot Bianco, Chenin Blancs. Floral family tends to be Moscato, 
Vinonier, Gortstraminer. Herbal tends to be the Savion Blancs. The Gruners of the world. Their Verdojas. Um, and then you get some that are kind of right in the middle. Between Floral and April, you're looking at Pinot Grigio, Pinot Gris. Right in between all of them is a Riesling. Semillon from an apple to an herbal. Lots of different little nuances coming from the grape, giving you different natural flavors. Now on the red side of that, we have to think of like black fruit, spiced fruit, red berries, and understanding that these berries can be ripe, could be stewed, could be all different levels of spice. So when you're thinking of like black fruits, you're thinking of Cabernet Sauvignon, you're thinking of Merlot, Tempranillo, Barbera, Carmenere, Maltebucciano, Corvina, Petite Syrah. Think of your spiced fruit family, you're thinking of Syrah and Shiraz. Montestrel, Movedra, Nero Diavola, Negro Amora. That red berry family, you're thinking of Pinot Noir, Gourmet. But there's a lot that cross over. I would say Nebbiolo is the one grape that crosses all. Nebbiolo makes a Barolo. Spiced fruit and black fruits, a combination of those tend to give you Malbecs and Zinfandels. Red berry with a little bit of spice is a Grenache or a Grenache. Black fruits with a little bit of that red berry are your Cab Francs or your Sangioveses. I'm very partial to a Cab Franc. I absolutely love Cab Franc and I love funkiness. So I feel like that is a great wine and I understand that my flavor profile might be different from your flavor profile. But knowing that there's different fruit families and different flavor families that create a maj page of different flavors for your wine is what we're trying to do. So as the winemaker, we're going to talk spectrum of white wine and red wine. And I want you guys to think about a few last minute things tonight. Because we're not going to dive very far into red and white. We're going to do that on its own separate episode. So to kind of give you a high level overview of the white wine spectrum... We talked about the flavors and the weight of things. We talked about today ripening and how it ripens and what flavor profiles you'll get the more ripe they get. We also have to think about Chardonnay style making Chardonnay are we is that something that we're making as our as we decide on our winemaking process we have to explore the lighter side of white wine what are the moderate flavors that we want to provide 
Are we doing something like a French fruit champagne with a mild flavor? Are we doing a Riesling? Are we doing a Moscato? Or are we going to get into a heavier body and get into maybe a Spanish Cava or a Vouvray? I love a Vinonier. I have a really awesome wine on our wine list at my work that has a really fantastic blend. It is called, it's from Babel Historian, uh, Candide. And it is South African white, a Chardonnay, Chenin Blanc, Semillon, Vinonier blend. It is inexpensive and it is absolutely delicious. So, you know, last week we were shopping for wine and that, that was something that just kind of came across today was picking the right wines and knowing, you know, as a winemaker, because that's what we are today, you know, what we're looking for and knowing each region and knowing what we're getting from each region. We can, we're going to start exploring heavier white wines, such as Chardonnays, Wurzstraminers. We're going to talk about Spanish cherries. We're going to talk about Chenin Blancs, Vinoniers, Madeiras, things like that. So milder, medium, bolder flavors. Like I said, today is just a high-level overview of the white and the red spectrum to kind of talk about what we're going to get into now that we have decided what we're doing as winemakers. As we get into red wine, we have to talk about flavor intensities. How bold is too bold? How far are we going to go? How elegant are we going to go? Flavor progression or fermentation process. Are we going to ripen those grapes fast, hot? We're going to slow it down and make it a little bit more subtle. We're going to talk about Cabernet Sauvignon style. It's one of the most popular grapes known to man, and it's also the main base of Bordeaux, which is one of the first ever grapes ever made and first ever blends created. So um, we have French left bank Bordeaux. We have Chilean Bordeaux style, and we have American Sonoma Cabernet, which can be made into a Bordeaux style as well. We'll talk about some of the lighter red wines, so Beaujolais, Chiantis, Pinot Noirs. We'll get into some rosés a little bit further. We'll get into Riojas. Like I said, we're going to talk about a lot of different wines. We're going to get into each region, what each region specializes in. We'll talk about Merlot, Coterons, French Bordeaux, Barberas, Montepulcianos. I love a Montestrel. Talk about 
the style in which from medium to heavier heavier bodies with you know medium to bold and boldest flavors we're talking Syrahs cabs tawnies ports Malbecs prior rats I just got into prior rats and I think they're absolutely exquisite so hold on to your hats my friends stick with me because we have a lot more to learn today was really cool Today I really felt like we've made some progress in understanding the making of wine. I feel like we've gone through the fermentation process. We've made our way to become master winemakers. My friends, we have a lot more to come. Coming soon, we'll talk really in depth about white wine. Really in depth about white wine. We'll get into each varietal. We'll talk about reds and their varietals and their process. We'll really start to explore each grape varietal. And as we do that, we'll open up into our regions. So thanks again for always being here with me on Wednesday nights. Um, I want to give a shout out to my source to of tonight's educational process i'm using wine a tasting course by marnie old really great book really great guide for some of the basics um really has a flow to this book i've jumped around all over the place in our conversation um i just use this as a fantastic source all the time of course i use the sommelier book as well um wine foley is always a great reference and resource um again shout out to podcastle for rocking the easiest way to create a podcast and publish thank you to those who are following and who have joined me on this journey. I really appreciate your time this week and hope you learned something new. Stay tuned for more. Keep some wine in your glass. And thanks so much for joining us at Vivo Pour Vino, a podcast about wine. See you next week. Around here, we live for wine. Cheers. Cheers.